Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast. My name is Justin Robert Young. Sound is probably a little bit different today because I'm coming to you live from the nascent, embryonic, as yet to realize its full potential seven acre schwood, Brian Brushwood's compound down here in Austin, Texas. Uh, As I join you, I am looking out. The window, I can see construction crews uh, building the new warehouse for the Brian Brushwood Empire. I I might take you on a little bit of an audio tour of the facility here uh, over this episode. Maybe head out to the the old sacred woods in the back. Maybe that's where we'll do the pole dance and the emails and everything. But before we begin... We go any further, and man, we got a lot to talk about. Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, Stacey Abrams, a couple stories about Mayor Pete, both good and bad. But the number one story that you're going to be hearing about today when this episode is released is the bar and grill. I want my baby back, baby back, baby back. There is a big old grilling of Will Barr going on right now in the Senate. He faces tough questions about a story that broke last night, and I suspect that story broke last night uh, (laughs) was not a coincidence that this was timed, so there would be maximum kerfuffle during this hearing. The story from the Washington Post last night is that Bill Barr got a letter from Bob Mueller about William Barr's, well, I mean... I don't even know what to call it because now it is become politicized that the liberals are calling the William Barr letter a summary because that has a pejorative sense to it. That is uh, something that that sounds more like, oh, it goes along with the the, talking point of there's a 400-page report and you gave us a four-page summary. How can you summarize 400 pages in four pages and act like I didn't try to find out that answer during every book report in high school? Holy shit. I'm not trying to read all fucking 400 words of or 400 pages of All's Quiet on the Western Front. Just let me know the metaphors and allegories and general themes. I don't give a shit about mustard gas. But meanwhile, Will Barr, the attorney general, would say it's something different. He would say that this is is top-line conclusions. And I'm inclined to be sympathetic to the idea that as soon as word got out that the report had been turned in, considering the fact that there were legal redactions that did need to be made, and that would take some number of days or weeks, it wound up being about three weeks, 
that there was no way he was going to get around releasing something. Something had to get out there. Because if you think the brouhaha that is happening now is bad, imagine if it was him sitting on that report while the redactions went on. That, that would be looked at as evil, <laughs> as, 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 as restricting the evidence and shaping it. I mean, the, the, by, by the time that the report wound up getting out, we, we found out that the president's counsel got a chance to look over it. Imagine if we had no sense at all of what was in there and the president's counsel got to look at it before it was released at all, at all. So I understand the motivation to put out top line conclusions. And I'll even go ahead with the, with, 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 with the democratic phrasing of it. I understand the idea that he would summarize something. Now, here's the letter that uh, Mueller sent to Barr. Quote, the summary letter from the department sent to Congress and released to the public late in the afternoon of March 24th did not fully capture the context, nature, and substance of the office's work and conclusions. There is now public confusions about critical aspects of the results of our investigation. This threatens to undermine a central purpose for which the Democrat uh, appointed to the special counsel to assume full public confidence in, or sorry, the, the department appointed to the special counsel to assure full public confidence in the outcome of this investigation. Now, the Washington Post report goes on to say that the letter called for Barr to release more, specifically the executive summaries in the beginning and end of the report. And, and Mueller made some uh, effort to show what, could be redacted to get that out there as soon as possible. This was then reportedly followed by a conversation between William Barr and Bob Mueller in which they discussed exactly what was going to be done. There was a disagreement on whether or not there should be more information put out before the redacted report hit the public. Barr expressed his displeasure in the idea that there would be more information that would be dripped out before the full report. And now we're where we are. <laughs> so the, the, the question becomes in the larger context, because no matter what, whether or not you believe that, that William Barr is a total Trump crony and he literally was there so he could press release and step and repeat this process into irrelevance, that he has smothered any political impact that the Mueller report can have. And, and let's be clear, that's what this is. This is about the Mueller report being a devastating document to the president. And if you read in there, and you are a true believer that everything that you read in there is indeed obstruction of justice, and whether or not Bob Mueller found that there was a conspiracy, a criminal conspiracy between the Russian government and the Trump campaign, you need it to be politically damaging. Impeachment is a political process. You need for the public to say, oh my God, this is disgusting. I'm very familiar and I immediately recognize these actions as being wrong. If that's not the case, then you don't have a case to bring to the public. 
You don't have a case to prosecute on television, in newspapers, and eventually the pressure feeding back into the House chamber and the Senate chamber to force impeachment and removal. So the, the, the claim that, you know, Will Barr has totally uh, uh, smothered this process is not necessarily about smothering the report. It's far more about him not making this as impactful as it could, blunting the possible impact of it. Now, what Mueller is writing about in this in this report, I, I think on one hand is, you know, inevitable. This is such a politically divided and charged nation right now. I don't know that there could be any representation of this report, let alone releasing the report in full that would not have been drawn immediately on party lines and had any and everybody with an opinion taking up their swords and shields and fighting one another. Regardless, the only thing that matters is whether or not we are going to have an impeachment push in the House. That's what matters. Going forward, is this going to happen? Well, it looks like some of the House Democrats want it. They're not going to give up on it. Nancy Pelosi obviously does not. Nancy Pelosi wants uh, this to be more about investigation and fact-finding. The idea of, of pushing a House vote on impeachment, in her mind, and she is one of the most astute vote counters in the game, is fruitless. All you're going to do is give every Republican, including, and, and you know this is top line, Donald Trump, more ammunition to bring home skeptical Republicans. You are going to make this a party line fight. That's her thought. Now, on the other side, you've got a lot of uh, insurgent, younger House Democrats for which this is their fight. This is the reason why they were brought to Washington, to hold the powerful accountable. And you've got enough, enough in the Mueller report, could have, you know, could have always said more, but you got enough in the Mueller report that you want to fight on that. You want to fight on that information. I don't think it's going to happen, personally. I think Pelosi has the, the right of it. She gets it. She understands that this is uh, fruitless. And unless there is any other shoe to drop, and folks, the payless is looking fairly bare these days, I don't know if that's going to happen. But there is one story that I saw today that I do need to bring to your attention. Because, you know, I, I don't like, I take 
no pleasure in playing the I told you so game. Oh no, I take no pleasure in it. He said lying through his teeth when I've got something called before anybody else has it called. And I was laughed at, I was mocked. And yet here today in Politico do I see this headline. Democrats weigh a Benghazi-Trump strategy. Come on, baby. I told you guys from the jump, from the jump that this was going to happen, that the Mueller report, the Russia investigation, was the new liberal Benghazi. Lock him up. Lock him up. Lock him up. We are going to see endless hearings. We are going to see endless coverage. We are going to see endless interviews we are going to dissect every little morsel we're gonna find out exactly what color everybody's tie was in that russian operative meeting in trump tower we are going to pick through every single one of these details we are going to turn the house judiciary committee into the goddamn rachel maddow a block it is going to be poured over and over and over and over and over again and then at some point it'll be 2020 and we'll figure out whether or not we're reelecting the president or we have a new president and then it'll continue to roll on forever it's so funny i was watching this this bill barr hearing before i started recording and, you know, the Democrats are like, oh, well, look, everything's going to be about Hillary's emails and Benghazi. Man, fast forward two years. Everything's still going to be about Kislyak and, you know, the meeting in Trump Tower with Don Jr. I'm just saying. There, there is just no, our political reality is such now that nothing will be let go. Never let go, Jack. Never let go. Politics. All right, we have made our way outside the nascent studio of the Seven Acres Wood. We are now in what I like to refer to as the creepy gazebo, mostly because it's a creepy gazebo. But it is here that I want to tell you about a very non-creepy thing that you can do, and that is going and signing up right now for my free political newsletter. You can get that at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Uh, look, it's so easy. Five days a week, five stories a day, mostly gifts, some hot takes. I've had some really, 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 really great feedback from you guys lately, and this is the real reason to go ahead and sign up right now. It's just the fact that we've got the best and smartest readers on the planet. If you like this show, then you're going to love every day not only getting my little summary of the day that was in politics, but also the feedback from the audience. We've gotten some hilarious feedback so far. Very, very smart stuff. Uh, people making their own gifts. It is a great creative community that is far and beyond just the average run-of-the-mill run corporate political newsletter that every single website and uh, TV network do. By the way, the reason why everybody does... Those mailing lists now is because they realize that Facebook marketing is a loser's game. <laughs> and so they just need to own their, their users a little bit more. And so they realize that our old friend that we had hoped to evolve away from, email, remains the only decentralized social network. So now everybody's looking to build up their mailing list. I'm sure you guys are already signed up for a million of them. I guarantee you this, the free political newsletter will never waste your time. And 
if you want to pitch in and do your part, go ahead and respond uh, whenever you can because it helps fight the dreaded Google Alderitos, the personification of algorithmic evil that we work to combat and battle every single day. All right. Let's go ahead and get into some of the other big stories. Joe Biden has officially launched his campaign. He is in, in the race. Had a gigantic first day donation haul of $6.3 million. That put him ahead of Beto, which was ahead of Bernie. He had about 96,000 uh, individual donors, which means a lot more donors gave a lot more, uh, a lot more money than the small donor base of Bernie Sanders. But, look, money's money. Joe Biden had to come out and announce with a large enough number that would uh, put him over the top. He is running as the front runner, and he is also running as somebody who is very, very old. Guys, I I know that I told you that I assumed that Joe Biden was going to make his way out into this race and then almost immediately step on his dick so hard it fell off. And he did give me a little. He tickled my tummy just a little bit when he made his uh, made his announcement. He went on Instagram, had one of those things. If, if you're if you're a hip IG kid, you know you go to somebody's profile, and on their profile, a bunch of random pictures that have been posted create a little mosaic. Yeah, and the mosaic right there on his page said in glorious letters, "Biden, twenty twenty, dope." Of course, you had to put those letters on different pictures to create the mosaic, and the B was on a picture of him and his wife. So Biden's wife is a B. And then the only picture of President Barack Obama featured a picture with, with the N superimposed over Obama. So Obama's an N. I mean, maybe the N stood for nice. You know, clean and nice. Very articulate. But this is not what I, what I, what I want to talk about. Because, look, that's, that's some silly stuff that I like to joke about. And it, it makes me happy. So it can't be that bad. But it's not the end of the world for Joe Biden. That's just a little internet snark. Here's what I do think is a problem. And that is how freaking old he sounds. These are some clips of him at his first stump speech in Pennsylvania. I want to thank uh, uh, Rich Fitzgerald, the county executive, Allegheny County executive, for being here. And all my time in public life, from since I've gotten involved, the country wasn't built by Wall Street bankers, CEOs, and hedge, and hedge fund managers. If the enterprise hits hard times, everybody took a hit. Union workers, the UAW took incredible cuts in their future and their and their pensions and the less to get GM working. They also got that last year and try to cut wages or freeze wages for the people. That's old. That sounds old. That sounds like an old man. That's going to start to pile up. 
Someone's going to make mention of it. You've already seen Joe Biden is the front runner, and he is being attacked like he is the front runner. He's being attacked by Bernie. He's being attacked by Elizabeth uh, Warren. He's being attacked by a lot of the outside groups, the progressive outside groups like Justice Democrats. They are saying he is a Republican light. This is everything about the neoliberal movement that you thought the insurgency had burned away. You thought the Bernie Sanders movement had burned away. And yet, here he is, standing atop the leaderboard at 30% in the polls. And he's had a bump. This has been very good for Biden, and it specifically seems like it's bad for Bernie. Bernie has receded in the polls. He, he was averaging in the low 20s. Now, the most recent polls have him in the, the teens. So, so far, this has been a big boost for Biden, and he is running as if this is over. He's not attacking anybody but Donald Trump. He is looking straight ahead, straight ahead to the general election. And at this point, he should. But that's why I wonder about the slurring. Because I first noticed it when Biden did that, uh, you know, I'm sorry for touching people so weird video. That seemed to me to be uh, 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 the first time where I'm like, man, he sounds old. And then in that stump speech, he sounded old as well. I can't think that he's going to sound younger as he is out there on the trail. Like, And knowing his propensity to speak off the cuff, I think we might be in a Bob Dole Brooklyn Dodgers situation. I think he might make a mistake. I think the mistake he might make is not necessarily one of expedience, like his plagiarism scandal, not one of racial ignorance, like the Dunkin' Donuts or the Barack Obama issue in 2008. I think he might Bob Dole it. He might just say something that makes him sound impossibly old, or he's going to forget something, or he's going to stumble. Like, the only thing that will take him down without question, beyond policy, Beyond excitement is the fact that people just think he's not spry enough. Bernie Sanders, for the fact that he is ancient, dude is older than dirt, feels spry. He feels like somebody, you know, there's, there's those gifts of him like spooking people. <laughs> like, like he seems like he can move. Joe Biden doesn't necessarily seem like that. And the more he slurs the more it's going to be a problem for him. Stacey Abrams is not running for Senate in Georgia. If you remember correctly, there were three lost but not forgotten superstars in the 2018 election. Chief among them, Beto, who came close but no cigar against Ted Cruz for Senate. He is now running in 2020. Then there's Andrew Gillum, who came very, very close to taking the governor's mansion in Florida. He has said he is not running, but we have not seen the last of him. And then, of course, there's Stacey Abrams, who is running for governor in Georgia against Brian Kemp. She has a very, very interesting pathway ahead of her. Young, black, woman, obviously a big personality. I would say probably the biggest personality amongst the three. And meanwhile, we have two paths ahead of her. 
Either she can run in a statewide race in 2020 for Senate. So she already did very, very well statewide. I thought she ran a better campaign than Beto. Or she could test her luck in the presidency. We've already heard her float. Like, yeah, you know, I mean, if if I did run for presidency, I wouldn't take the vice presidency right out the gate like Joe Biden has allegedly floated a trial balloon for. I'd be running for the whole goddamn shebang, my dude. So now she's not going to run for Senate. In my mind, there is only one name, well, two names. First would be Hillary Clinton. The second is Stacey Abrams. That would really shake up this 2020 race. Other than that, I think we've kind of got our field. I would be shocked if somebody else with a major impact waded into things. But Stacey Abrams would be formidable. Now, I think she'd be bad news for Kamala Harris. I think she'd be bad news for Cory Booker. I think she'd be bad news for Elizabeth Warren. But the question for Stacey Abrams is, beyond because I could raise the money to do it, why is she running? What is the rationale for a Stacey Abrams presidency? And that's harder than you'd think because we have a fairly far-to-the-left field. When Joe Biden comes out and says that he is for a public option of Medicare, this used to be the far-left post that nobody would, nobody wanted to touch. The idea that there would be, the government would offer health care. Joe Biden says, I'm for that now. And he's looked at as Ronald Reagan <laughs> by, by progressive Democrats because progressive Democrats want to only have a public option. That that's, that's the only thing that you should be able to get. That we want to abolish health insurance so the government can best negotiate and best take care of its people. So you can make health care a right. That means that the left is very far left, at least compared to where we were before. Now, beyond that, is there a, a lane that Stacey Abrams could take? So, you know, even if it's just, oh, she can't say, isn't it about time that we put a black woman in charge? Because Kamala Harris has been out here raising money and saying that fairly effectively for a couple months. It's going to be very, very, very interesting if she decides to run. I, I believe in her as a candidate. I just don't quite know how she would adjust herself to make sure that she was the most effective that she could be. Question asked by the Boston Globe. Why isn't Elizabeth Warren doing better? She seems to be somebody that has a lot of articulated policy positions. She's been working really, really hard on that. She's been out here with her messaging, spelling out exactly what she means on stuff for a little while. She has a high profile. She is appropriately progressive, maybe acceptably progressive. And yet she has languished, not only in her fundraising, but also in some of the polling. She has failed to catch on where some of the other less well-known candidates, including Mayor Pete, have found success. So what's the deal? Well, I I tend to think that Elizabeth Warren might have found herself in a bit of a mushy middle. 
again, we have a very, very, very far left left right now. And by that, I don't mean that it's radical per se, that it's just compared to where we were, it is further. And that's the branding that they want to run on, is that, yes, it's about time that we talked about these far left ideas. It's about time that we moved the window of what we thought is acceptable in this country because we are not treating our most vulnerable in the way that they should be treated. Elizabeth Warren has one toe there, but she's not as far as she could be. And meanwhile, because she has that one toe there, she is looked at as too far to the left for some moderates. So, beyond that, I don't know whether or not, even if you do articulate your ideas, and she has, at least by my view, by far, been the one to talk about actual policy proposals more than anybody else. You know, Beto just put out his first policy proposal about a $5 trillion climate change uh, uh, initiative. Five, sorry, did I say billion? I meant trillion. $5 trillion climate change initiative. But Elizabeth Warren's been doing this on the, on the weekly. She's been putting out policy, uh, policy papers. Now, the other question there is, are they good? <laughs> Do they resonate? Sure, you might be writing a lot of songs, but are they toe tappers? Are they hits? Do they get the people moving? Because if they don't, then it doesn't really matter exactly how many you put out now. Now, does it? Now, the turning of the tide might be upon us, though, because the last three national polls that came out had Warren up in third place. She's beating Mayor Pete. She's beating Beto. And she's beating Kamala Harris, who had been uh, running in third this entire time. Now, that is a softened third position because it seems as if Biden is dominating the lion's share of the last 30 polls that were taken. He is over 30 in all of them. But maybe the tide is turning for Warren. Maybe the idea of, hey... We're not willing to let the Democratic electorate is saying we're not willing to just let her totally flame out because she is representative of a lot of things that are very popular. And Elizabeth Warren is very popular. In fact, she is very charismatic. Oh, that didn't sound very good. That must mean it's time for the parade of wrong opinions. We have moved into the woods now on Brian Brushwood's compound, so we might be shielded from our own horribly incorrect opinions. This sexual assault smear of Mayor Pete is going to work swimmingly. Wrong! Yeah, Jacob Wall, this Twitter troglodyte who just keeps trying to start shit but seems incapable of shitting anything but his own britches. He put some kid up to writing a medium post saying that he was assaulted by Mayor Pete, and yet uh, it fell apart before it even got any traction. The Daily Beast got the kid on the record saying that it never happened. All the social media that was created for this kid only was a couple months old, 
and he had other personal Facebook pages in which before the day was out, he had already said that he was not sexually assaulted. The only question now is whether or not Mayor Pete wants to sue Wool for <laughs> for discrimination, or sorry, defamation. What an absolute shit show. Mayor Pete comes out clean. Wrong! Oh, why is that? Is it because Mayor Pete is taking a hard line in the sand against anti-vaxxers? Wrong! Oh, this according to The Hill. Mayor Pete says that he does support some vaccine exemptions. Again, Mayor Pete is trying to walk a very, 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 very thin tightrope. He wants to be the candidate that is a uniter, not a divider. He's gay, but he's a Christian. He's liberal, but he's from a small town. And so he's got to walk it how he talks it when it comes to issues that matter for Christian voters. And whatever you think of the vaccine issue, there is no doubt that there are religious exemptions for how you are going to handle your child. He likes that vote. He needs that vote if he wants to distinguish himself from the very uh, uh, coastal elite metropolitan candidates that he is running against. And so now we begin to see exactly how he's going to navigate issues like this. Will his role as the first major gay candidate be able to shield him from some of the th dances that he needs to do to make his way into the heart of the moderate voter. Maduro is out in Venezuela. Wrong! Mm, yeah. Big international news over the last 24 hours as the opposition leader Guaido, who has been recognized by the United States and several other nations as the rightful ruler of Venezuela announced that there was going to be a May Day push to oust Maduro, the current sitting uh, president of uh, Colombia, the or as they say on Fox News, the disputed president of Colombia. Ultimately, getting rid of a dictator is really hard. All right. It's very, 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 very difficult. And you can stomp your feet and you can have your protests as much as you want, but Dictators tend to not relinquish power, specifically if, specifically if they have the military behind them. So for Guaido to come out and say, this is the end game here. Well, he better have some assumption that there is going to be a turning of the tide in terms of the military. Because if the military sells out Maduro, it is over. And according to Mike Pompeo, our Secretary of State... This demonstration yesterday did get Maduro close to leaving. According to Pompeo, he was on the tarmac, ready to leave, going to go to exile in Havana when the Russians convinced him to stay. Hmm. A proxy war between Russia, China, and the United States in Latin America. Isn't that crazy? Obama was very excited to back Joe Biden in 2016. Wrong! Yeah. I mean, this was something that we kind of knew going into it, right? We knew going into 2016 that Joe Biden would be running if it weren't for the fact that 
Hillary had kind of sewn up everybody that she needed to sew up going into it. But we had never heard it spelled out as clearly as we did in a scoop for the New York Times on Sunday, chronicling the relationship between Obama and Biden. And although it is a very warm retelling of uh, two political animals who eventually became more than just co-workers, nay, they became friends, it begins with this idea that Obama was trying to nudge Joe Biden not to run. He believed that Hillary had a better shot. And Joe Biden apparently came to agree with him after Obama directed him to speak with David Plouffe. And David Plouffe laid out a very grim scenario for his campaign wherein Biden might finish third. Third behind Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Now, I don't think that would have happened. Besides, if the sitting vice president runs and he has the endorsement of his boss... And he is running as the logical extension of the Obama administration. I think he crushes Hillary. In fact, I think that that's the reason why you convince him to not run. is because you're afraid that the very fragile, the fragile Hillary campaign might indeed fall apart under, under pressure. Or be damaged beyond repair. Now, why does a story like this come out? Well, to take heat off Joe Biden, of course. Because the narrative going into it before that I never got the sense that Joe Biden was very comfortable with is that he wasn't running because his son, Bo, died of brain cancer. And he just wasn't in the headspace to do it. Now, the reason why I say I don't think Biden was ever comfortable with it is because we also heard that Bo Biden said, go do it, Dad. And... That story only comes from one side of the tracks, right? That's only the Biden saying that here's the thing that Bo said to me on his deathbed. Politics! All right. I think it's time that we headed back into the most precious area of this seven-acre schwood. There's a pond in the back. And folks, we are going to bless the waters with what I like to call the one and only PX3 Pole Dance. Before we head back there, though, oh, geez, we got some people in the line. Oh, Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, Andrew Yang, Cory Booker, Kirsten Gillibrand, and John Hickenlooper. I'm afraid you need 4% or up to participate in this pole dance. Uh, uh, it is for Texas, after all, and everything is bigger here. So I'm sorry, but... I don't see how you can hate from outside of the club. You can't even get in. <laughs> yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is an Emerson poll taken from April 25th to April 28th in the great state of Texas. It is our poll dance, 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 dance. 
Coming up first to the stage, he barely makes it, but he better in his home state with 4% of the vote. Let's give it up for Julio Castro! With 7% of the vote, she's got a policy position for everything, but her position in this poll is fourth. Let's give it a big round of applause to Elizabeth Warren. No, did I say fourth? She was fifth. In fourth, with 8% of the vote, he might be clear of his sexual assault smear, but he is polling well for a gay dude in Texas. Folks, let's go ahead and get a big round of applause for Mayor Pete Buttigieg. He did pretty good here in 2016. He's going to have to do even better in 2020. Folks, with 17% of the vote, it is Bernie Sanders. He is the favorite son the stars at night are big and bright, and nobody lit them up like this man with 22% of the vote. It is Battle of But your headliner, leading the pack, leading two native sons, Leading with 23% of respondents, this is Big Joe Biden! That is Castro 4, Warren 7, Judge 8, Sanders 17, O'Rourke 22, and Biden 23. Co-headliners up top, but a great poll for Big Old Joe. Let's go ahead and get into but your emails. Rishi wrote, I thought you might enjoy this blog post, which I was referred to by Kirsten Saltless Anderson's Sirius XM show on the POTUS channel. The interview is a great listen. This guy is Rich Thau of the Engages organization. He talked to 12 swing voters in Wisconsin and Ohio, six of whom are Romney and Clinton, six of whom are Obama-Trump, and all but one would vote for Barack Obama in 2020. I mean, the whole thing just gives me political vertigo. Being a liberal, aren't I supposed to be warring with Trump voters? Do they even know that I'm warring with them? Am I am I really warring with them? It's like people who pay attention to politics are just a bunch of bees buzzing around each other in their own tiny nest. Rishi, this is the larger religious point of everything that I do in politics, is that if all you do is listen to the spin, then you are going to get political vertigo. Because spin doesn't have to be grounded to anything. Spin is advertising. You know, there was uh, somebody, I read something today, that was actually a Trump quote, saying, you don't go into any pizzeria and see, say, uh, see a sign that says, we have the fourth best pizza in New York. No. Everything's absolute in advertising. Everything's absolute in messaging. So that's what I'm trying to do, is trying to pull back the, the, the lens just a little bit. So, like, yeah, look, you can... Everyone loves to say that our team's number one, but if you have no idea the general context, then I don't know really what that means. Nate, oh wait, hold on, here we go. Yeah, Nate from the Lehigh Valley. Nate writes, 
It's cutting this out. Cutting this out. Cutting this out. Nate from the Lehigh Valley writes, The idea that the left can't meme is certainly reflected in both my Facebook feed and my Twitter timeline. Being able to distill your message to a thought in a single cohesive image is not easy, but it's incredibly effective. Think back to the political cartoons of the early 20th century. Even now, these old political uh, cartoons are reprinted and referenced in textbooks. Any thoughts on why the left can't mobilize this form of communication to spread their message? Yeah, uh, they haven't had to. There's been no shortage of platforms to see your own political opinion reflected on the left. Uh, it's on television, it's in newspapers, it's in magazines. Really, the, the, the story of conservative media is finding underrepresented niches and making the most of them. Uh, most importantly, AM radio, cable news, and now the message boards of the internet. Uh, uh, 4chan, uh, Reddit, the places where memes are the most highly voted and popular content. So similarly, Rush Limbaugh being a one-mic blowhard became the dominant way that you communicate on AM radio. And so now every pundit that exists, and even some assholes on the internet, want to do one-mic radio shows because they've seen this is a popular format. Similarly, Fox News realized that doing a uh, heavily branded opinion programs that brought a conservative voice to people would be very well received and now you've seen you know the, the only people that really compete with fox news's ratings is msnbc and they do a liberal version of that but the right kind of monopolized it they have had the most success with it similarly uh there's just less practice on the left they're just not as good at it now they're a lot better at a lot of other things including you know like i said uh, tv movies uh, all that stuff uh but in terms of Memeing? Yeah. Uh, I think that there is something to the idea that the that, that the left can't meme. AC writes, I want to provide you ongoing feedback from the out-of-touch hermit crab slice of your demographic. Seems to me that you're still traveling steady up and you're doing God's work or whoever's. We crabs don't know politics or what filthy casuals enjoy, but we do know raw smarts, and we can spot a Ferris Bueller in a parade full of unbuellers. Also, as a crazy crab person who enjoys drunk mailing you occasionally, thanks for not featuring any of them on the But Your Emails lately. No, really, really. I dread that days later when I'm hungover and driving home, that's some bleak shit. We crabs like a, <laughs> write a lot of stupid stuff late at night, but there's an outside chance I'll say something halfway useful maybe once a year, and if that brings us even one day closer to you interviewing a candidate, then by all means, toss it in the hopper and forget where it came from. Crabs don't like credit. Crabs only like being not bored. Furthermore, I can only imagine what a jury interview with a presidential candidate would be like. It would almost certainly be more interesting than whatever I came up with. Part of me is curious what would happen if you could corner one for an hour and ask them nothing but media strategy. After 40 minutes or so, their true form might emerge. Or if someone could pull off a Jon Stewart on crossfire-level Dharma combat spontaneity and geniusness, but with no agenda or attack vector, a sincerely disinterested, intelligent conversation. That'd be a coup for the ages, and I suspect... Strangely unremarkable. Most of these guys are neither monsters nor zealots. You want to know what? I salute my crab people. Kevin writes, Liz Warren is failing because she has the charisma of a wet blanket and whatever political advisor she has that keeps suggesting she act like an uncool mom desperately trying to appear cool to her teenage son she in no way understands is crazy. Meanwhile, the voter just wishes she'd stop because she's embarrassing us in front of that cute girl we're trying to impress. It's just never going to work. 
Open Bayou writes, do you see the 2020 Democratic candidates dropping out after the second debate in July? Will there be uh, pr- pressure to those polling under 10 percent to drop out after the second debate? Or will they continue until there's a mass suspension of campaigns after Iowa? I suspect that there will be earlier dropouts this year just because we're running hotter than we ever have before. And so it'll be a little bit clearer, a little bit earlier that some of the people that have literally no chance, they're, they're going to get it. That about wraps it up for us today. From the sacred Brushwood Pond, I bring you the fact that you can go ahead and email us, theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Music has been provided by Valesco and Trap Killers. You can follow me at Justin R. Young on Instagram and Twitter. And, of course, download archived episodes of this show at bonerwars.com. If you want to support the show, then go ahead and check out our Patreon, takepoliticsseriously.com. Join the $3 Club. We just came out of the biggest month we've ever had. On, uh, on 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 the Patreon, at least in, in the last year. And I want to thank everybody who is making independent political analysis possible. You guys are doing it. You are rejecting confirmation bias theater. You are rejecting everything that dumbs us down. And you are trying to uh, recognize someone who's given something different. And, and you have no idea how much that means to me. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. And also cum jokes. Every once in a while I make a joke about cum. Freepoliticalnewsletter.com as well if you want to get five days a week, five stories a day, mostly gifts, sometimes hot takes. But until next time, friends, I want to remind you guys that some shows talk about politics, some shows talk about politics, and some shows talk about politics, but this, this is the only show by a Texas pond that talks about all Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. (laughs)